0: Well, happy Sabbath, family! Happy Sabbath. So good to see you this morning. It is so nice that, uh, in spite of all the things that we get to face during the week, we have a moment in the week, a moment in time that God has prepared for all of us, so we can come together and be in a one-on-one encounter with Him. Last week we began this series that we titled "Starting Point." And we discover, discover the essentials the la, the la, the, that God has set for our life. And today as we continue, I want to show you a couple of things that I discover about communications. See, today in our atmosphere, there's about 2,000 satellites. 2,000 satellites dedicated to communications. If you have a cell phone, if you have a computer, if you work with one, Most likely, at some point, you are connected to one of these satellites. So there's about 5,000 satellites floating around the earth. Half of those don't work anymore. But 2,000 are still dedicated to communication. When 20 years ago, at the turn of the millennium, there was only 300 dedicated to communication. So people have decided that we have an amazing need for communicating. In fact, the advancement of the Internet has put us at very interesting numbers. If you see on the left side, that big column, it says that 4.5 billion people are connected through the Internet. If the population of the world is 7.5 billion, that means that almost 60% of all humans are connected to the Internet. The need to communicate. Also, this is so amazing. You see, the the, the orange, is it orange? The orange represents people and the blue represents devices. Now, notice that in 2003, there were more people than devices connected to the internet. By 2008, there were more devices than people connected to the internet. Now, and you might scratch your head and say, well, how does that work? Well, think about this. If you have a phone, you have an iPad, you have a computer, that's just three devices right there for one person. So now they're estimating that there's about 50 billion things connected to the Internet. Smartwatches and and all kinds of stuff. It's connected that people feel that not just one device is enough to be connected, but we need to have more. Now, this is where it gets interesting. The company Cigna, who studies human behavior, they discover that 46% of American adults reports that sometimes they feel lonely or always they feel lonely. 46% of American adults. They also discover that 47% of Americans feel at some point left out. See like that bird on the wire? So even though we're so connected, there's still almost 50% of us that at some point we feel disconnected or alone. They describe this as epidemic levels. So if you thought that the coronavirus was an epidemic, this is even worse because half of the population feels lonely. Another interesting thing is that they separated, in another study by uh, 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 CVS, they studied uh, the generations and the levels of loneliness. And they had a scale that uh, went from from, uh, 20 to 80. That was the scale. And they discovered that those who belong to the boomer generation, those who are 72 years of age or older they reported being 38.8 in the scale between 20 and 80 of loneliness. So almost half. If you thought it was bad, the generation X, that's my generation. These are those that are at 38 to 51. I'm closer to 38. (laughs) Uh, They reported, they reported, why are you laughing? You're so mean. (laughs) They, they, reported, they reported that it's 45.1 in that scale. And it just gets worse. Because millennials, those of you 23 to 37, 45.3. But the loneliest generation is the Z generation. Those 18 to 22. Because they reported in 48.3 in that scale. Now, it's kind of weird because if, this is, if the younger generations are the ones that are most connected, how is it that they feel the loneliest? See, they give us a definition. Doctors, Dr. Douglas Nemechek, um, he's in charge of the sickness study. He said that loneliness is defined as a feeling of being alone or lacking social connectedness. So let me tell you something. Being connected on social media does not replace social connectedness. Belonging to a church, just belonging, does not replace social connectedness. Belonging to a gym does not take the place of social connectedness. And some of you belong to the gym, but you never go, so that's even worse. Alright, so 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 this is the thing. How is it, how is it that in a society, in a time where people seem to be the most connected than ever in history, how is it that we suffer the most loneliness? You see, you probably remember, some of you remember, because I do, the times before the garage door opener. Right? Before the garage opener, I was the garage opener. <laughs> get down from the car, walk to the house, open the gate, get inside, open, right? So there was a time when we actually got out of the car to open the gate. In the rain, in the heat, anywhere. At night, wake up, open the door. You know, I remember those days. And see, when we did that, when we actually got out of the the car to open the gate, we actually saw people on the street. Let me tell you who they are. They are neighbors. (laughs) But see, when the garage door opener was invented, we now just go, and we wait in the car. We go in the garage, close it behind us. We don't see anybody. We don't have to say hi to anybody. If anything, we just go. The connection with people, with our neighbors, disappeared. If you get your notes out, those uh, notes that you received, uh, that little insert in your bulletin, let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Because see, this problem, this problem was foreseen by God. God realized that this loneliness issue was going to be a problem with humanity. And he writes, uh, Moses writes in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for the man. Now, this, the man, is the best word that they could use to describe humanity. It is not good for a single human to be alone. It is not good. And think about this. God had made his creation perfect. And every time he said something, and he made something, he said, it was good. But now he makes man and he says, okay, this is not good. He needs company. And he makes Eve. Not because man was not good. It was not good the fact that he did not have company. Because we were created to be social creatures. You heard me say this before? Don't forget it. Because this is the whole message right here. We were designed to be social creatures. And in a time, in an era of connectedness, but loneliness, how is it that we are to become the social creatures that God intended us to be? You see, the Bible offers four models, four metaphors for connectedness. So today I'd like to share with you, what these models are and what they represent because they're really special. Because being connected is like a brick in a building. I think I have one of those here today. See, bricks are kind of interesting. Especially bricks like this one. This brick has already been... Used. He's been part of a building once. In fact, you can still see some of the old cement mortar that was used to connect it to a building. But it's no longer part of a building. It's separated. But see, the thing about bricks is that this brick could be used again. And it doesn't matter its shape, it doesn't matter its weight, it doesn't matter the color, it doesn't matter what little dings and dents it has on it, this brick can be used again. Now you're scratching your head and you're thinking, What why is it that we are going to be? Why does the Bible say that we're like a brick in a building? Notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Together. Can you see that? Together. And you can underline that, circle that on your notes. Together. Notice, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. What is the only way that we can become his house? When we are together. When we are together. Now notice what it says. Verse 21. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him. Who's him? Jesus. You Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And you know when he says Gentiles, he's talking about who? Us. Because we're not Jews. Right? He's talking about us. So in the time of Paul, there were the kind of people. The Jews... The Gentiles. So he's talking about us, that through Jesus, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, we can become part of his house, of his dwelling, or the place where Jesus is going to abide. Now, I'm kind of fascinated by this building. In reality, over the couple of decades that I've been a pastor, this is the most beautiful building that I've ever pastored. And I feel blessed by that. In fact, there's times that I go in here and I just stand in the middle and look at the different materials of this building. Because if you think about it, it's really special. We have bricks. As you walk in the church, you see the bricks. And then we have wood. And we have metal. And we have glass. And this is a crazy thing. That all these different materials put together, when they are together, they support each other. If you try to put the glass by itself, holding the brick, the glass is not going to last very long. But see, when the doors and the hinges are put the right way and hung the right way, when, when the windows are placed the right way and the walls are the right height and the right width and all the measurements are correct, all the materials, every single brick holds everything else, the wood, the metal, the glass. Because see, God used this metaphor to let us know that when we are all connected, all the parts Support each other. We could look different. We could have a different accent. But when we're together in Christ, we can all support each other. And and it's quite neat. Because the key word here is together. Together. The second metaphor that we find in the scripture is that we are a part of a body. We are a part of a body. And you know, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to bring a body part. But I said, no, no, that's not going to work. So I brought something else. I brought a little buddy. Now, this is Jeff Kent. And those of you who are Dodger fans, you remember Jeff Kent. This is why I chose him. Because as a second baseman, usually second basemen are smaller guys, very quick to the sides. But Jeff Kent is the second baseman with the most home runs in history. So for a little guy, he batted really well. But this is the thing. He was good until he got injured. After he got injured, He couldn't hit home runs anymore. Because see, when all the parts of the body work together, and they do what they're supposed to do, the body grows together. You see, notice what the scripture says. Stay right there. Romans 12, verse 4. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function... So it is with Christ's body. Now, who is Christ's body? Us. All of us. So each one of us is a part, plays a role, has a job in the body of Christ. We are many parts, continue saying, of one body and we belong to each other. We belong to each other. Now, he gives us another example of this in Ephesians chapter 4. So stop telling lies, he says, let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. So notice what he's saying here. That regardless of where you come from, regardless of your culture, regardless of your family size, regardless of if you're a parent or a child, regardless of of your gender, we all belong to the same body. So in the church, we are all different. Do you agree with that? Just look around. We're all different. In the church, we all play different roles. Do you agree with that? Imagine that everybody would come up here and preach. Nobody's sitting down there. That'd be weird, right? Now, you do not want to hear me sing. That'll be weird. So everybody plays a different role. Now, and all together, all together, we make the body complete. But not just that. You see, all the body parts, all the body parts, they need to be connected to the body in order to grow. See, our growth does not end when we become adults. Every day, thousands and thousands of cells regenerate in our body. And for a body part to have new cells, there's one requirement. It needs to be connected to the body. Because once a body part is no longer part of the body, is detached from the body, it can no longer grow. It can no longer regenerate. So see, if we want to grow spiritually, we need to be connected to the body. So as any body part, all the body parts grow together. There's another metaphor that the Bible teaches us about being connected. And that is that we are like sheep of a flock. Now, some of you perhaps don't like that. But it's, I I know you're waiting. Where's his sheep? I'll get it. (laughs) Say hi to everybody. Okay. Now, in Psalm 103, says, God made us, and we are all his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastures. Now, it's quite interesting because, see, we live here in suburbia or in the city. And this sheep flock thing doesn't really work with us because we don't really understand it. Every time we see a sheep, we don't really see a shepherd because we go to the county fair and they're all in a pen. (laughs) But if we were to live on the hills in the middle of the country, somewhere where there's shepherds and sheep, we'll discover something really interesting. That every flock not only has sheep, but they also have a shepherd. All the sheep in the flock have a shepherd for one specific reason. To take care of them. Because all the sheep in the flock are protected and taken care of by the shepherd. And I know, you're thinking, Pastor, you are a shepherd. Well, yes, I know. Our shepherd is Jesus. Jesus. And all of us, all of us as parts of the body have the responsibility of, take care, of taking care of each other. You see, all of us have the responsibility and the privilege to worry about each other. And let me tell you how beautiful this works. Let me tell you how beautiful this works. You see, many times... When somebody is in the hospital, the last one to know—it's me. But all the people know. And at times, I get texts saying, "Pastor, did you know that so and so is in the hospital? Did you know that so and so is having a surgery? Did you know?" At times, I do. But there's many more times that I don't. I found out about people because other people are aware. They're taking care of them. They're praying for them. And they know about them. Because see, as connected as I am, I could be very disconnected. Because the best connections are one-to-one. And those who are connected one-to-one with other people, when the other person is in need, they become their shepherd. Because they're helping to take care of them. So the Bible tells us that we are share. That we are sheep of a flock because he wants all of us to be taken care of. First Peter 5:2 says. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. So you might not realize this, but you, each one of you, can be not only sheep, but also shepherds. Why? Because in a flock, every sheep, is protected and cared for. So now we learn that, that, that together we are like bricks in a building. Together we are like parts of the body growing together, supporting each other. And we also sheep of a flock when we take care of each other. But the most beautiful of all the images is the fourth one. And the fourth one is that we are members of a family. We're members of a family. Of a very diverse family. That is our church. And there's a beautiful thing about this. Because see, this this metaphor of the family appears throughout the Bible. This family appears as the father and the son, appear as the children, appears every step that we see Jesus talking. He's talking to the father and he says, you are my brothers. So we see the family metaphor all through the Bible. And there's a reason why. Because in a family, all the members of the family are supposed to love each other. Now, let me put my family here. This isn't really my family, but a family. First Timothy 3.15 says, So that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. It's quite interesting because the word household here, you know what it's making a reference to? The family of God. Have you ever parents gotten mad at your children and you said, in this household? You don't mean the building. You mean your family. And that is exactly what it means here. In the family of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, you may live away from your family. You move to this place from far away. And the church has become your family. Perhaps you're the only believer in your family. And the church has become your extended family. Perhaps you don't have a family. But West Covina Hills has become your family. Because that is, that is what God intended it to be from the beginning. That all the believers could become his family. In Romans twelve ten says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now, maybe you've heard me say this before, but God made us to love each other. That is the whole reason we're here. That is the whole reason why God created the church. To love each other. In fact, that is why he created humanity. So that we learn to love him, God, and each other. So as a members of the family of God, all the members, all the members should experience love from each other. So uh, this in this series, I told you before we're going to start practicing our evangelism for this year. And see, one of the things that that we've done over the years is to worry about people becoming members of the church. But that's not really what we should be doing. What we should be concerned about is to reach people with the love of God. Are you with me? Because our job, see notice what it says right there. uh, On 1 Timothy 3.15. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And the biggest truth in the universe, you know what it is? That God is love. Because that is exactly what the devil planted in heaven to dissuade a third of the angels into believing a lie. So the truth of the universe is that God is love. And his love into the world can only be demonstrated by people who are connected to God. So each one of us, each one of us have a circle of people. A circle of people that we love. Or that we want to love. So Today, I'm going to guide you into the first step of the circle of love. So to do that, I have uh, uh, some uh, people, yeah, here, because not necessarily deacons, but people, that have cards. And these cards look like this. Whoops. These cards look like this. So please raise your hand if you want to be part of this. Actually, give one to everybody. I have just voluntold all of you. So you will get this card. And this card is a circle because it is the circle of love. Okay? Now, don't write anything yet on it. I'm going to guide you through the steps. Okay, let me explain what what this is. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he had a circle of love. You know how many people were in the circle? Okay, two people are awake. Twelve. 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 Now, so the reason why Twelve appears as a circle of love of Jesus is because Twelve is a very manageable group to have personal relationships one on one. Right? And not only that, but it represents the totality of the people of God. Twelve is the base number. For 144,000. 12 is a number that the city of God is based on. 12 is a number that the tribes of Israel had. And 12 is the number of the disciples. So our circle of love, as the Bible teaches, is 12 people. So now in your card, you find that there's four different colors. And what happens in each one of those colors is this. And there's one that says family, right, on the left top side, family. And that is the place that we are going to pray for during this week. To write three people in our family that we want to pray for. But this week, I'm just giving you the first step. And as we go through the series, I'm going to give you more steps in the process. But this week, we're going to write in this circle the names that we're going to pray for during this week. Now, if you move to the to the left of your circle, in the green area, I believe. In this area, you are going to pray for this week for three people of your neighbors. And by neighbors I mean those who are not Christians. Okay? I didn't want to write non-Christians or anything like that. No, no, no. Neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So, neighbors. So, in that, in that corner, you're going to pray for this week for God to reveal you three names. Three names that you're going to pray for of people who are not Christian. And now, so let me, let me tell you, if you don't have friends who are not Christians, you're in trouble. Because we should have People around us who are not Christians. Otherwise, you might be so heavily minded that you're not earthly good. Are you with me? Now, on the bottom, on the left side, a circle of friends. These are people that you already have a connection with. But God is going to show you this week through your prayer that you need to pray specifically for them because they're in need, because they have problems, because they just need prayer. And on the right, you're going to write three names of people from West Covina Hills. So these people, at the end of the week, after you've been praying for God to reveal you the names of these people, you're going to have 12 people in your circle of love. Now, let me tell you, that does not mean you're going to stop loving other people who are not in your circle. But these are specific. Specific. Because this circle is going to be people that during this week, you're going to pray to God to reveal you who you're going to write on that circle. Next week, I'm going to tell you the second step in the process. So by next Sabbath, when you come back, Your circle should have 12 names. Three family members, three neighbors, three friends, and three members of the church. Is that simple? Now, and you're asking, why? Why? Notice what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 8.5. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action, their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us. How? Just as God wanted them to do. And what God wants us to do today is to give from ourselves to others. And the best, most effective, and simple way to do it is first to pray for other people. So as we do that this week, our prayer will be, God, who should I write in my circle of friends? Who should I write in my circle of family? Who should I write in my circle of neighbors? Who should I write in my circle of church? You know what they need. You know where they are. Show me. So that I can Begin to give of myself to them.